The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Let me tell you who's doing sneakers the best in the game right now. That's New Balance. The two-way V4, featuring this groundbreaking use of technology with fresh foam. It's called Fuel Cell, creating this combination that we love of rebound and cushioning. Fresh Foam offers unparalleled cushioning for maximum comfort your entire game from start to finish. The upper construction features this lightweight textile that reduces weight, which we all need, I know I do, while remaining supportive and breathable. Hard to find that combo. The two-way V4 gives you the tools that you need to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way V4 at newbalance.com. You're tuned in to Heat Check with Trista Crick. On this episode of the Heat Check, the first week of the NBA season is behind us. And the Utah Jazz, the Utah Jazz are the best team in basketball. The Sixers are the worst team in basketball, next to the LA Lakers, just like everyone thought. Well, everyone with a brain thought the Lakers would stink, but I will be going over all of my big surprises this past week, as well as getting into a few viewer questions. Also, is Jay Crowder going to the Milwaukee Bucks? NBA is cooking, Nick, so do me a favor and drop that beat. This week was wow. This week was something. This is the first week of the NBA season. It's in the books. And I have made a list of some surprises I wanted to share. I wanted to highlight the teams and players who have genuinely given me some sort of shock, both good and bad. And like baseball, the heat check is going to begin in Philadelphia, where the Sixers are off to a hot start. A shockingly, really rough start, which means that the Sixers are now 0-3 at a team when the city, I don't know, maybe it's at at sports peak. You've got the Philadelphia Phillies now going to the World Series. You've got the Eagles, maybe the best team in the NFC. And then you've got the Philadelphia 76ers. A Benless Philly team with the addition of some, some pieces like P.J. Tucker, got some pieces like DeAnthony Melton, a healthy Embiid, and an in-shape Harden. And yet, somehow, 0-3. You hate to see it. Couldn't have happened to a nicer city. Could not have happened. Is is Doc going to get fired this year? It feels like it's starting to be a groundswell. I've been looking on Philadelphia 76ers Reddit. And there's comparisons to Jimbo Fisher, which he would be fired if Texas A&M didn't know him 80 
$7 million over the next two years or three years or whatever it is. So what, what is happening? Why? It's a good question because it's shockingly not Harden's fault, but it never really feels like it's Harden's fault. Does it? He can offensively carry the load and somehow not contribute to winning. He has been great though. He had one bad game against the Spurs, but is averaging 26, eight and nine a game. I don't think I expected that. Did you? Joel is Joel. He's averaging 27, 13, and four. Very standard performances for a perennial MVP candidate. Tobias Harris, who I personally don't like as a fit on this team, shooting 44% from three. Tyrese Maxey is averaging 23 and three. So on paper, everything looks good, which seems to be a real problem with Doc Rivers' teams, right? Great on paper, not so great in reality. The big problem is that they can't play defense. They just can't. They they can't transition for shit. When Embiid is off the court, this team is just horrendous defensively. Maxi can't defend. And that just makes two giant holes defensively alongside with Harden, who's also a hole. The Sixers are 24th in defensive rating this year. A drop from 6th last year. Where's Matisse Thibel? Wasn't he supposed to be the next Ben Simmons? Matisse Thibel has played all of 41 seconds in their first two games. Don't don't worry. He got an uptick in minutes. Three minutes against the Spurs when they lost. When asked why, Doc had a perfect answer. It's just the other guys. It's a pecking order right now. He's working his butt off. He'll play. He's got a chance to earn more minutes at some point. But now, right now, Daniel House and DeAnthony Melton are in front of him. We're going with the smaller rotation, but he'll have a chance to earn minutes at some point. Daniel House? Daniel House could barely get minutes on a Rockets team when they were actively tanking for Jalen Green. From potential first-team All-NBA defense to a third stringer behind Daniel fucking House? Daniel fucking house was fucking that COVID tester in the bubble. What a rough fall from grace. Boy, oh boy. You got to trade Matisse Thibel. You got to let him go. There's 10 teams that want someone who can put some good defensive minutes in. Can it be fixed? That is a matter of significant debate at the moment, to be honest. There are really three major problems happening at once. One, there's the Joel Embiid problem. Not that JoJo is playing bad, because he's not, or getting hurt. Well, he might be hurt, but we're not sure. We'll get to that in a minute. This is about the offense. He's having to work so hard on offense that his defense is suffering. And when Joel's defense sags, the entire Sixers defensive scheme falls apart. He's not making easy buckets. He's not getting much in the mid-range and struggling to get into the low post where buckets are plentiful and easy for him. It's almost like the offense is being ran poorly. It's almost like the entire philosophy of the offense isn't great. It's almost like Doc Rivers is making it very hard by an old-school, post-centered offense. Second, Harden. Not, not, Not exactly what you think I mean. He's really good offensively. He seems in shape, very motivated, looks good, averaging double-digit assists. Yet, the Sixers are 24th in both offensive and defensive efficiency. This is a team problem. It's not just a single issue. Our guy Seth Partnow, 
points out the issue as partly Harden's usage rate, which is so ridiculously high that Maxi's usage rate is down 60% and Harris's rate is down 75% from last year. So they're not getting opportunities either like last year. And Maxi, for all of his points, I mean points per game, has looked not the same player that he was before. I think Tyrese Maxey might need to sit his ass on the bench and come off as a sixth man, but that's another situation. Thirdly, which I intonated and sort of um, foreshadowed just a second ago, there's a coaching problem in Philly. It has now reached critical mass. Is Doc Rivers a bad coach? No. Would another coach be better with this team? Absolutely. After losing to the Spurs, Doc Rivers, of course, as per usual, gets absolutely murdered on social media. B- b- blue checks aplenty, like Ben Dietrich were calling for his firing after a game one loss to Boston. What do you think would happen when they lost to the Spurs? Get the fuck out of here. His postseason failures are very well documented. If this team struggles in the regular season when Doc Rivers went on the record to say that this was the deepest, most complete team that they've put around Joel Embiid, call me overreaction Monday, but I am overreacting, and the overreaction is not good. So, yeah, the problems are there. The writing, as they say, is on the wall. Will they plague Philly all year? I have no idea. I thought the Boston Celtics were a bad team until, like, January of last year, and they went to the finals. So anything is possible. With Boston and Milwaukee looking as good as advertised, man, Sixers might be in for a long year. Oh, yeah, about Embiid. There were reports swirling about that he's still dealing with the plantar fasciitis that he suffered over the summer. Didn't even know he had plantar fasciitis. I thought he had an orbital bone fracture and a tear in his thumb. But this is like the amount of injuries racking up on Joel Embiid's body only rivals operation. But... You know, we move on. Players like Goran Dragic, Yusuf Nurkic have missed significant time with this injury. So for a big man, not great. This is what Embiid said before training camp. It all started when the team was out in L.A. Out of nowhere. I just thought it was, whatever, soreness. Over time, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And then it got to the point where I couldn't walk, and it was really painful. Oh, man. That is rut row Embiid. Rough start for Philly. Might not get any better anytime soon, which I would hate to see personally. So you may look at the Timberwolves right now and be an optimist. If you're living in Minnesota, that's probably you. Or from Minnesota, that's probably you. You want to say good things about the Timberwolves because things look exciting. See the glasses half full. They're 2-1. and one. Their only loss coming from blowing a second big half lead, second half lead to Utah. Which, you know... You could see Utah, like a team like Minnesota, kind of overlooking Utah. You could say, oh, you know, they're an Edwards free throw away from being 3-0. And you would be right in theory, but wrong in reality, because we are now seeing some things come to light about the issues in Minnesota, at least early on, that are not being addressed. Not shockingly, not shockingly, it all starts with kitty cats. Carl, kitty cat. Anthony, kitty cat. Towns. I don't know why that's so disrespectful that I said it so many times, but we're going to continue. He's having a very hard time in this system, finding space. And he's a guy who kind of needs space because the center, all of a sudden, of the floor is blocked out with a massive red X by the name of 
Rudy Gobert. And it is becoming apparent that the Rudy Gobert experiment is going to require some patience. It's going to require some mm, tinkering because it's going to be, it feels like, very up and down for the foreseeable future. And the biggest problem, according to a Timberwolves substack, Howls and Growls, which is a very funny name, is getting Aunt Edwards, didn't see that coming, to buy into the pick and roll monster that is Rudy Gobert. It's almost like two guards, two teams in a row, Donovan Mitchell and Ann Edwards, don't particularly love working alongside Rudy Gobert. We'll have to see. But Ant is a supremely talented star, as we know. He has spent his entire career working with these pick and pops with Carl Anthony Towns. It shows he likes that. And a number of times already this year, he's blown assignments and even allowed mediocre defenses like OKC to get set and then get a stop. And then that that vaunted, as they say, that high prestige elite defense that Gobert supposedly has. Well, right now the Wolves are 18th in the league in points given up, 340, because they're giving up an absurd number of uncontested shots, specifically in the perimeter. They're leaving guys wide open from three. They are 25th in rebounds allowed. They are 28th in assists allowed. They are 23rd in the league in creating turnovers. They suck so many metrics. They're 19th in defensive rating. They were 13th last year with Rudy Gobert, without Rudy Gobert. So that is saying a lot, right? These are issues. These are problems that need to be fixed. And the Wolves already played OKC twice. And let's just say this. It wasn't easy. And that's OKC. So what's going to happen when they play a team of a higher caliber? I'm not saying that the Wolves are going to not be a play-in team. I'm just saying let's pump the brakes that this is a top five team, top six team in the West. I am saying also that this is a situation that needs to be monitored carefully. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Moving on, moving on, let is let us go out to a team that has surprised me absolutely the most. What kinds of odds do you think we could have gotten before the season if you said at the end of week one, the Utah Jazz would have the best record in the West and would be one of four undefeated teams? I'd say pretty good odds. Vegas would give you that pretty easily. People in Salt Lake City were would say you were... I don't know, dipping too much into the devil's elixir, a.k.a. coffee. You know, caffeinated sogas. But here we are, a team that blew up their roster in the offseason, declared to the world that they were front runners to land Victor Wambanyama, to brick for Vic, to play like shit for Vic. And boom, veterans, rookies alike, all decided to blow that shit up and just absolutely ball out to start to finish for the first three games. Beating not one, Not two, but three 
playoff teams out of the blocks. Minnesota, New Orleans, and Denver. They made Denver look abysmal to the point where I was like, oh, God, Denver might be actually bad. They came back from 20 to beat the Wolves in OT. You didn't even have to do that. All you had to do is go to OT. You could have lost. And then they pounded the shit out of the Pelicans before having to beat them in OT too. Right now, the Utah Jazz, if you can believe it, currently lead the NBA in points per game, threes made per game, assists per game, and points per game. And steals per game. I already said points per game. Steals per game. How, Sway? How? How is this possible? The newcomers are playing very well. Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, Colin Sexton. The remaining old guard, also very much playing well. Jordan Clarkson is killing it. Conley is good in limited minutes. But really, it all comes down to a man and two words. Laurie Markkinen. Laurie Markkinen has been out of this world insane. He wasn't being used well in Chicago, as we know. He got traded, really, for Derrick Jones Jr. There was a pick involved, but that pick was never going to convey. Then he was fine in Cleveland, a good piece on an upcoming team. And how has he been now on the Utah Jazz, a team that was very actively looking to tank, or so we thought? Well, the seven-foot wing player is leading the fast breaks for this team. He's finding his teammates in transition in the open court with really elite passing. Not to mention, he's just been pretty good in every single way when the Jazz beat the Pelicans. A team that many people thought was going to be top three in the West? In that game, my man, Markkinen, had 31 points, which was a game high, including 11 for 11, perfect game from the free throw line, to go with a game high 12 rebounds. How many seven-footers do you know that go 11 for 11 from the free throw line? Ben Simmons could only salivate over that stat line. I will wait. Will Hardy said this perfectly. Lori has done everything from guard wings to guard Nikola Jokic. He's handled in the pick and roll. He set some screens. He spaced the floor. As a coach, it's a luxury to have a player that has that level of versatility. This is a player that Nick Nurse would die to have. This is a perfect Toronto Raptors player. Prediction time? Prediction time. It is week one, but I'm here. Laurie Markkinen is not only the most improved player of the NBA this year that he wins that award, but he's also an all-star for the very first time. Especially, think about this, especially considering Utah is this year's host site for the all-star game. Who else has been balling? Kelly Olenek, who was like a throwaway, who is literally just like a salary matching player in the Boyan Bogdanovich to the Trist, uh, to the Pistons move, which I didn't even understand at the time. Sounds like it was a good trade for both sides. He was cooking Zion, cooking him. Jordan Clarkson might be a, a borderline untradeable asset right now. He has been playing really well. You've got Malik Beasley, who was supposedly a cast-off in the Minnesota Timberwolves organization, and that was before Minnesota got good and had Edwards. I didn't even mention, I didn't even mention Colin Sexton, who off the bench is must-watch. And then you add that with Conley and Vanderbilt and Kessler and down the road players like O'Shea Akbaji and Johnny Jazang. Like this team is actually kind of low-key, <laughs> kind of low-key good. The question is, though, as I as I look at this team and watch them, and I mean it sincerely, I'm not even trolling, is, is this version of the Jazz team actually more fun without Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell? Like, are they actually better? I think, 
I don't mean like the one seed in the West, but they're definitely more fun. They're certainly have more flexibility in how they want to play and who they can guard and who they can match up against. They're certainly more intriguing, yes. And, and in an odd way, even more deep. It's still early, baby. But this is a team to keep our eye on because I was convinced that they were in the hunt for Victor Wambanyama, and now they're the best team in the West. Holy shit. Another team I did not see coming, and we talked about this with the Locked On podcast, a team that I thought was going to take a huge step back last year, and all of a sudden they have proved me wrong. It is only two games, but things look good, are the Dallas Mavericks. (laughs) They have got to be one of the biggest surprises so far. I was probably one of the many people who didn't think that they did enough to offset the loss of Jalen Brunson, right? Like, who is going to score if Luka's off the floor? Who is going to score if Luka gets hurt? Is it going to be Dinwiddie? I don't know. By the way, Jalen Brunson, Brunson, absolutely balling in New York. But here we are. The, the Mavs are a bad three-minute stretch against the Suns on opening night after blowing the doors off of the Suns from being 2-0, and they blew out the Grizzlies by 30 which, you know, the Grizzlies are a very tough matchup for anyone. Like last year, their defense has been good. It's been a brick wall, and now it's only better with the addition of Christian Wood and JaVale McGee. Monty Williams said this, which I think is totally true about the Mavs, that the Mavs have the kind of length other teams dream about. He's talking about himself. That was a shade, shady shot to DeAndre Ayton. Anyway, moving on. They are absolutely all buying into Jason Kidd's smothering sort of hands-on defense. They got the Grizz to commit 17 turnovers in that game. And remember, this is a team with guys like Tyus Jones who lead the league in assist-to-turnover ratio, who, who committed the ninth fewest turnovers last year, despite having human highlight reels like Jaw and Desmond Bain. So I was wondering how they could score. Who would it be to take the offensive load and share it with Luca. Is it going to be Dinwiddie? Is it going to be Tim Hardaway Jr.? Is it going to be Jaden Hardy? Is it going to be, I don't know, some other person that we haven't thought about? Some other wing, some other guard? And now I have my answer. It's Christian Wood. It is Christian Wood. It's true. It is true. He has transformed this team in the few games that he's been on the team. Coming off the bench, he's put up 25 points per game. 10 rebounds, 3 assists. He's got the second highest player efficiency rating right behind Giannis at the moment. Is that is that good? I think that's pretty good. And then when he and Luca are on the floor together, let's talk about that because how they coexist is even more important than how they function separately. They have a 147.6 offensive rating, which has got to be the highest I've ever seen in print in my life, honestly. They've got a 32 net rating. That is Silly. That is so stupidly high. I've, I don't think I've ever seen it before. Ridiculous in terms of their chemistry. And remember, KP and Luka never really fit, right? It, even when KP, Porzingis was healthy, it just felt clunky. It just felt forced. But with, with Christian Wood, I have seen some highlights from Luka I've had to watch over and over and over again. Go on Twitter and find them. Go on the TikTok feed and find them because they have been amazing. And it feels like what Christian Wood can do is more than we knew. He can do it as a, a threat attacking off the catch. You can tell that he thrives around the rim as a finisher. He's a, a really good good in he's really good in isolation. 
He's good in post-up scoring. He's actually looked really good as a third ball handler. And if you've seen any of Christian Wood's pressers, oh boy, he looks like he's been set free for the first time. He looks like he's playing basketball that's fun for the first time. He said the word fun in his presser like 10 times. Going from Detroit to Houston to now playing with Luka Doncic, that, that'll do that for you, I guess, right? That'll do that. And so I'm rarely surprised at how a team is going to use a player, how well they'll work in the system. But even, even for me, a Christian Wood fan, I have to say, I did not see this coming. I think he's going to win six man of the year. We have two predictions. We have Laurie Markkinen, most improved, and we have Christian Wood, sixth man. Another added benefit for the Mavs, they are rebounding their asses off right now, and that's Christian Wood and JaVale McGee as well. And if you remember, that was a main issue for them in the playoffs where they lost the rebounding battle by like 7 to 11 every single series, even against the Utah Jazz. Seven rebounds per game, they were in the deficit. So this team's probably going to be a top three rebounding team in the West. News is that the Mavs aren't done. They are looking for another asset to target at the deadline to take them over the top. Hang on. Hang on to your hats, people. The West just got way more intriguing two games into the season. Just like the Jazz, I think we all expected the San Antonio Spurs to be one of the top teams in the West, right, at this stage? I was probably literally one of the only media members declared my unabiding affection for this group of young, super athletic players but even me, the San, new San Antonio, new San Antonio Spurs fan, because uh, whatever they were doing before, fuck that. That was some boring, boring basketball. But I am stunned at how well they're playing. The problem, though, I think is, is this. They could be too good. They could be too good for Victor Wambayama. They need to lose more games. These are critical moments for them, especially in the beginning of the year. No one's going to no one's going to accuse you of tanking too early. It's like, oh, we're still getting things in place. Like, we're still massaging our lineup. We've got guys in the G League. Yeah, we're losing some games. Yeah, we're 0-14. But, like, the Pelicans were last year. They made it to the playoffs. See what I mean? Like, you can't be winning games early. Because by the end of the season, this is when you're supposed to have it figured out. Pop said that we should not be placing any bets on them to win, win it all this year. But I am... I am, I am very stunned. I was very unprepared for this type of tempo because Pop said, we're going to play fast, we're going to play fast. And it's like, yeah, but you always play like molasses. So what am I supposed to really believe? Is it a normal pace? No, they are fast. Other teams are unprepared for these Spurs. Wins over the Pacers, wins over the Sixers on the road, set up by fast starts that gave them big first-half leads. And this team is deep, too. They have... They played 12 guys against the Sixers with everyone contributing to offset you know, Joel Embiid's 40, 13, and 3 night. You've got Devin Vassell. Devin Vassell is a guy that probably casual fans don't even know. If you're not a Spurs fan, I'm, this might be the first time you're even hear, hearing that name. Man, can he ball. 22 that night, 9 for sh- 14 shooting against the Sixers. Sheesh, so good. Keldon Johnson just keeps getting better. Trey Jones is a clone, probably, of his brother, Tyus. Josh Primo coming along nicely. What they're going to have to do, they're going to have to get rid of all those older veteran players that are playing a lot of minutes, getting them wins, like Jakob Pertle. He's got to go. Josh Richardson, you got to go. Dougie Buckets, too many buckets for you. You got to go to another team. If you want really a chance to develop your young guys, 
you really want a chance for Victor Wambanyama, which let's be honest, that would make Greg Popovich so happy. He would be, he'd probably coach another 10 years if he got Victor Wambanyama. No, make no bones about it. You're, this is going to be a, an arms race for tanking and you need to season your kids and you're going to need a fighting chance at Victor. Victor and Pop on this team with even more trade assets next year when they trade Pirtle and Josh Richardson and Doug McDermott, that may be trouble. That might be a rebuild that happens faster than you could even say Spurs. Definitely a team I, I don't actually expect to win meaningful games, but they have been very scrappy and surprisingly electric. Wanted to get into some listener questions. Going to be putting out a post on social as well every week. So if you have a burning question, drop me a line. Uh, We'll start out in Minnesota where a listener asks this. Trista, give me your thoughts on Jaden McDaniels. Will he take a step forward this year or should they have moved him in the Gobert trade instead of Vanderbilt? I love Jaden McDaniels. 6'9", first round pick in 2020. Everyone was talking about Jared Vanderbilt being the key piece in the Wolves-Jazz trade. And he's been good. He's been really good. But who the Jazz actually wanted was Jaden McDaniels. The Wolves said absolutely not, and now we see why. He went off for 19-6-3 with three steals, two blocks, and only one turnover on opening night. Oh, my God. That's that's borderline. all. He could be an all-star. That's borderline all-star numbers. Since then, he shot 54% from the field. We talked about the, the Wolves spacing problems earlier in the show, but put Jaden on the top of the list of players who love having Rudy on the team because what we're looking at here is, is classic weak side defensive help. McDaniels is going to absolutely pad his stats this year despite Minnesota Timberwolves not looking very good. And I think he's going to be one of the most top five most improved players in the league. I would not be surprised to have him to see him average like 16, 8, and 3 for the year. And, and if he does – those spacing issues might just start to disappear and the Rudy Gobert trade will look better and better by the, by the minute. This next question comes from Twitter. Who are the three hardest players to guard in the NBA? I think this is a good question. There are so many ways, if you, if you think about it, in terms of how to get a bucket. And like you have to think about it in terms of who's the most uh, unstoppable at doing it their way. Like Giannis and Curry completely different animals, but both unstoppable. This is what Herb Jones said his top three was. Uh, Luca, KD, and Trey Young. I don't know if I saw Trey Young on that list. He looked pretty damn stoppable in the playoff series against Miami. I'm not going to lie. I think he averaged like seven and a half points. Uh, my top three hardest to guard, Giannis, number one. Have you seen what he's doing now? He's shooting threes. He's got the highest... Uh, he had 40-something points. He went, had two threes, shot free throws really well, all in like 28 minutes of action. Like, just absolutely insane. He's so physically imposing. He's strong. He's agile. He adds new things to his game. And, of course, he's just massive. Steph, I think I think Steph could be number one as well. One-on-one, even off of a screen, he can just pull up from anywhere. If you sell out. And, and people try to do that to him. He just is at the rim in a flash. 
because you've been too aggressive. His ball handling is elite. He just creates so much, they call it gravity, where the whole world, the whole basketball court just functions and flows towards him because they know how dangerous he is. So I really like him. And then Luca. Luca can do everything that Harden can do. But Luca is 6'7 and 230 pounds. He can back you down. He can use his body. He can take you off the dribble. He has insane range. He's got a mid-range. He's an amazing passer, so you're always worrying about that. Like, those are my top three. And finally, we go to the TikTok comment section sections for these fascinating questions. Uh, where do you have Tatum and Brown ranked as NBA duos? So here's the short list, and I'll give you the five, of the NBA duos I like. So you've got John Bain, I like a lot. You've got Chris Paul and Devin Booker, who I'm liking less and less by the moment. Ant and Carl Anthony Towns, which I'm liking less and less by the moment. Kawhi Leonard and PG. Braun and AD, which I, I think I hate now. KD and Kyrie. Steph and Clay, Giannis and Drew. I like Giannis and Drew quite a bit. Jimmy and Bam. Kind of a mid. I like them both, but like together, I wouldn't call them necessarily the biggest duo. DeRozan and Levine, but Levine, let's be honest, he's never on the floor because he always has a knee issue. Siakam and Barnes, Garland and Mitchell, but Garland's off the floor now, so we'll see about that. And Embiid and Harden. I thought about this for a while, for a long time. My top five duos are five, Harden and Embiid, even though they'll never win anything together, they're just very fun. Kawhi and PG. Kawhi is one of the more unstoppable players, too. Even though his game is so ugly and nasty, it's just sort of fundamentally sound. And his body, he can get to the right spots whenever he wants. It doesn't feel effortless, but it feels inevitable, if that makes sense. KD and Kyrie, beautiful basketball. Probably the two most beautiful basketball players together in terms of their footwork, their uh, not just their basketball IQ, but their ability to, to handle the rock. Like, I love the way that Kyrie handles the ball. Number two for me is Jaw and Desmond Bain. Jaw is insane. I don't even know what Jaw is. He's he's a, a robot. He's not a robot. He's like an alien. I've never seen somebody his size do the things that he can do. I don't, I don't know if it's even possible. And then number one has got to be Tatum and Brown. I think that this team, uh, and I should have mentioned this on the show, I am shocked that they are not taking a step back at all. And maybe I said this the last episode too, but Tatum and Brown look like they've got a step better. They've taken another leap. And this team looks like, even with some of the issues that they've had from a health standpoint, maybe the best team in the East right now. That's all the time that we have for the Heat Check. We'll be back Thursday with an all-new episode. Check out the feed for past episodes from the offseason. Make sure you listen to the Jerry West interview. Really, really good. Uh, there's three parts to that. Make sure you listen to the Nick Nurse interview. We've got more interviews to come as well. So do not forget to download, subscribe. It, when you subscribe and download, it gives you a little alert when the episodes come out. So tell your friends about that. Every single damn one of them. I am about to see Paolo play the Knicks tonight. And I tell you what, I could not be more excited. If you see me in the arena, this will come out tomorrow. So either way, if you see me in the arena, I'm putting that out in the universe. Come say hi. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you next time.